Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host of New Books and Literature for the New Books Network, and today I'm talking to Caitlin Hamilton-Summy about her book, To Lay to Rest Our Ghosts. It's an elegant collection of short stories that take us from World War II in Kansas City to 90s Manhattan, from rural Minnesota to the busy Twin Cities. Summy's stories examine the importance of family, the defining nature of place, the need for home, and the hope for reconciliation. She earned an MFA with distinction from Colorado State University, and her short stories have been published in Beloit Fiction Journal, Wisconsin Review, Puerto de Sol, Mud Season Review, Hypertext Magazine, Belmont Story Review, and Long Story Short, among other places. To Lay to Rest Our Ghosts, winner of the Philip H. McMath Post-Publication Book Award and selected for 35 Over 35's 2017 list, is her first book. Caitlin grew up in Massachusetts and Minnesota and then lived for nearly 20 years in Colorado before settling with her family in Knoxville, Tennessee, where she's now finishing her first novel. Hi, Caitlin. Thank you for joining me today for this new books podcast. Hi, Galit. Thank you so much for having me. So we've got a lot to discuss. Let's start with how you came to write these beautiful stories. I started them in my 20s. In fact, eight of the 10 stories were written in my 20s. And they all arose out of my MFA program at Colorado State University. Um, And then the last two I wrote amidst work and babies and trying to buy groceries, um, they took a lot longer. Took a long time. The the last story in the book, Taking Root, took six years to write. Mm, Which one was that? That's a story about um, a man's view of miscarriage. Mm. And um, and that story, because I had a job, I have children. Um, it just, you know, I started at the kitchen table and then I'd come back to it six months later kind of thing. So it took a long time, as did the story Geographies of the Heart, because it mm-hmm. had to be written in the same chaos. <laughs> yeah. The first thing that strikes me is that Every story is written in the first person, but the voices are of different ages, male and female, different age, different decades in uh, human history. Which were the most challenging to write? Honestly, the ones about decades, um, because if an historical detail is wrong, then you're going to pull the reader right out of the story. Um, and so I, you know, I've always written in first person. In fact, I started always male first person. I always wrote in male first person until I got to my MFA program and people said, well, why are you doing that? And I said, it's because I do. It's what I hear. Um, so it was never the first person. It was never the ages. It was always making sure that the, that the historical settings were accurate. Also the geography. The geography, yeah, I, it never troubled me. I mean, I've lived in Minnesota. Um, I've spent some time in, in Massachusetts. I have traveled to Japan. Um, I didn't really spend a lot of time on that. 
that just seemed to come naturally. It was more about did cheese go on the point system in World War II? Um, mm-hmm. It was more about, you know, those kinds of details that concerned me. So several of the stories are connected at different points in the characters' lives. Why did you choose to separate those connected stories? I really wanted each story to stand alone. I wanted them to work as individual pieces. And so I I kept them apart. Um, But I included linked stories because I thought they were all powerful. And that I I felt that if the readers had enjoyed one and felt it had merit and stood alone, um, that they would welcome the chance to learn more about the characters. But Mm -hmm. if I linked them then it began to look like a novella in three stories or a novella in six stories. And I didn't want that. Right. So in it, we already talked a little bit about the various places in which the stories are set. And you said you, you have been to many of them. Mm-hmm. Um, can you discuss the importance of place in your writing? Place really matters to me. I feel that my characters in part, um, are birthed by their places, not just their families. So um, a lot of times I write about families and how family conflict affects people's lives. But I feel that those always, those dramas always play out against a landscape of often snow and ice. And I think that where people grew up and the, the social mores of those places and what they had to struggle through to get to school or what they have to do each day because of where they live is actually as important as the, the physical home and, and the family community that they have. Um, place is as defining to my characters as, as their families. Yeah, I, I saw it as sort of a character in each story, the place itself, I the think- geography. I think that's true. Yes, I was I was sorry to speak over you there for a minute, but I I do feel that very strongly. And I think that for me because I spent so much of my childhood growing up in places defined and shaped by cold that um that's part of the reason place matters to me because when you're shivering and you're cold, you pull into yourself um and it makes a young boy for instance um, who's already overwhelmed by grief, it makes it easier for him to just pull into himself and be quiet. You know, mm-hmm. there that that is a cold, quiet, desolate place where he lives in that story, and it just it makes it harder for him to reach out, which he's not very good at anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, I got to say, I was reading this during the polar vortex that <laughs> oh, we experienced here. So it was. <laughs> Like, what are these people complaining about the weather? Right. Anyway, right. Why, does, why does Minnesota get more exposure than every other place in these I ha- stories? I'm sorry, I spoke over you again. Um, I think that Minnesota imprinted on me more strongly than other places. Um, when I was growing up in Massachusetts, it was a jolly, happy time. And um, Minnesota was a time that felt more serious to me. I was a little bit older. Um, I was in junior high and high school mostly. And the cold 
just sucked me silly. I mean, it was freezing. My mother one day put me in one of those giant snowsuits. She had me in moon boots. She had me in one of those ski masks. And my only exposed skin was just a hair of, of visible skin in the eye slots of the ski mask. And I got frostbite walking to school. <gasps> oh. And I was I was in the walking zone, so I wasn't that far. And I just, I think the the abundance of snow and those icy temperatures and the ice rink at Cornelia Elementary during recess, I think those just were so different at that age that um, Minnesota just managed to take over my imagination in some ways. Is there a summer day you remember that ever took over your imagination? <laughs> in Minnesota, yes. Because, you know, Minnesota is so humid, right? Like Chicago. Um, once my parents took us up to the German festival in in, Minis- in like northern Minnesota, and they had brought a visiting professor from England, and we all went and danced, and, and it was just steaming hot. And I remember it because everybody was still dancing, and we were all just sweating, and it was so humid. But we had a wonderful time listening to the music and eating the food, the bratwurst. And, and so, yes, I do remember lots of things. Maybe I'll write about the heat next. <laughs> okay. Uh, so there is weather really does appear as another character in these stories. Does weather always inform your writing? Do you feel that way? It does. I think, you know, I write across genres and I write a lot about, um, I write a lot for kids now, um, in part because I have some and, and I'm interested in their world and in what reading options they have. Um, and I've completed a middle grade novel um, that is set in Tennessee. And it's probably the first time in a long time I've written something outside of Minnesota, Galit, um, outside mm. of that setting. And it is completely informed by heat. So, yes, weather completely changes my stories. Weather and place are characters in my stories. Huh. So I'm guessing you've written way more than these 10 stories. How, what makes these particular 10 stories work as a collection? You know, that's an interesting question because they're, they are all so different, you know, with the women and the men and the different countries and the different settings. But I think, and this is going to sound maybe sad, but I, I, it isn't in my way of thinking. They're, they're threaded together by losses. You know, some have lost a sense of identity, others have lost family members. And I think that the loss is the common thread and the common theme, as well as the hope for reconciliation or the hope for redemption. So there's that thread of hope as well. Also family. And family. Yes. Family is really important to my stories. I grew up in a multi-generational family. Um, we had everybody in one house, all three generations. And um, for those who have read my book or may read my book, that will make sense when you see stories that involve grandmas and grandpas quite a lot. Um, that that sense of all of us are in this together, all of us are going to get through and dig out of the snow together um, is as important to my stories, yes, as as place. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And another subject that uh, uh, all different kinds of love, not just romantic love. Yeah, that's an interesting um, observation. I don't think that anyone has mentioned that to me about my stories. And honestly, Galit, I'm not sure I've thought a lot about it. But I, I know my stories are very emotional, and I, I've been told that they're um, deep or intense. And I think that often does spring from a genuine feeling of love that's being conveyed through one's fiction. Yes, that makes sense. Mm. That makes sense. So can you talk about how much of the material in this collection is autobiographical or at least based on personal experience? And how you chose to write about those particular experiences? You know, it, at the end of my novel, I said uh, in the the acknowledgments, I thanked my family and, and added a line that contrary to what the stories show, my family is a happy family because if if anyone gets to the end and, and wonders, um, I thought they, <laughs> they might be interested to know. That. Actually, I grew up in a really close, happy, large family, or I should say not large, but extended. You know, the things that are true are that I grew up in a multi-generational family. I have a lot of experience with grandmas and grandpas. But the stories themselves aren't true. And for instance, the first story in the collection is about a young girl whose father doesn't make it home from World War II. Obviously, that's not me. Um, and it wasn't my mother. Um, but as I was writing, I began to see certain things come through that were true. Um, and what it usually is, is a detail. It's not the story. It's not the cringing loss, even. Um, it's that all the women moved in together. And in my family, all right. the women did move in together. But my stories always start with a voice. They always start with a line. And I just go. I never plot them out. I don't have any sense of where they're going. And so I'm, I just start writing. And with this story, I was just writing along. And then I realized, well, you know, all of a sudden the women are in one house. Well, of course they are. I sort of write and then I pull some things in, like I'm weaving a cloth. So there are details that are true, but not the facts of this. You know, the stories aren't true. Mm -hmm. Wow. I was just going to ask you next about your writing process. So we've already started talking about that. Um, you start with a line. I hear a, a first line. sentence, mm -hmm. a line. Mm -hmm. Do you also hear the voice of who is speaking that line? Um, generally, it, it's it's somebody saying something or 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 just a phrase it's not always dialogue. Sometimes it, it, it isn't. But yes, I start with a line and I write until I, I used to say I write till I know where I'm going. But I think it's not just that. I also write till I know that I've hit something honest. Because my stories are really emotional. Um, I, I'm looking for some kind of emotional reality that I can grasp onto that's going to make me want to continue to write about these people. Um, so I, I pull a lot of stuff in until I find a direction, until I know what I care about with these characters, and then I keep going. Hmm. So there's, well, here's another subject that I realized we didn't discuss that cuts across the stories, homesickness. It's, that's a really interesting um, 
way of viewing the stories. I, again, have not heard that from someone else. I think that's a really interesting observation. I think, I think people are homesick. Um, and, and maybe sometimes just for a better time or mm. something lost. Um, and I think that they are hoping either, as I said, maybe to redeem themselves or, or reconcile. But perhaps you're right. It's to reconnect with a moment when they were better or when a relationship was stronger or when they were all just simply still there. Yeah, and I see that. Um, and one more just occurred to me while you were speaking. Mm-hmm. Longing. Oh, this, ver- this is, is very much. A lot. A, yes. Yes, very much about longing. And not just, you know, longing to survive a loss, but at least in Geographies of the Heart, which is a story about two sisters who have this sort sort of decades-long argument with one another, just the longing to reconnect and to to be better people themselves. I think ultimately at the end of that story, the narrator, you know, she says she's just sick of herself. I think she longs to grow up and get over this. Um, and she hasn't yet figured out how, but she's reached mm-hmm. the point where she recognizes more, more her role in this and that she must take greater responsibility for her emotional life. So there's that longing too to be better. Yeah, that was a very moving story, but they were all moving. Uh, each one of them was like a little gem. So Here's my next question. When you're not working on your writing, mm-hmm. I understand you're the co-owner of a book marketing company. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you divide your time between those two things and being a mom? Uh, and how does that af- the work that you do affect your writing and vice versa? Well, I guess the first question I'll answer is how I manage. And, and there's no division. The work comes first. I write in the margins. I write early in the morning. I write when I can. If I get five minutes, I'll write. Um, but there's no set aside time for mom to sit down and write. There's no, um, there's no schedule. Sometimes I will allocate myself a lunch hour. Sometimes I will al- allocate myself a half hour at the beginning of the day to prioritize my own creative work. But generally the work comes first. Um, and what does that mean? It means I'm grateful for anything I get, Galit. And mm. it is in part why it takes me so long to finish things. Um, and then okay. in, in terms, I, you know, you asked a second question, which was really about how it affects my writing. Yeah. Um, and I think being in book publicity for as long as I have has made me kinder to myself. It's okay to take the time I need. Um, this is a tough business. And I think um, it has also made me celebrate everything. I mean, I'm thrilled, thrilled to be on your podcast today. I'm just so grateful because it's hard out there to get attention for writers. And anytime somebody expresses interest um, is wonderful. So being a book publicist has made me live in gratitude. That's a lovely way of thinking about it. I'm so excited to be doing these podcasts because I feel like there's so much out there that is more deserving of that is deserving of more attention than it's getting it's so many wonderful books you know it is true they're publishing so much nowadays across all kinds of of platforms that um we are deluged and and so Mm. it is hard it's hard to rise up 
and say, hey, this is the book. You need to pay attention to this. Well, I love to tell people what to read. So I'm in the right <laughs> job. Uh, Caitlin, congratulations on your most recent award, the Philip H. McMath Award um, from Arkansas State, was it? How will that affect what's happened since then? With the McMath Award, I think that people suddenly took greater notice. Um, the book has had excellent reviews, which is a huge relief. Um, and it's been well received. But I think that this award sort of put um, the book into a different category, perhaps in part because it comes from a university. Um, and so it's been very exciting to see the emails come in, to have a few more interviews booked, other reviews that might have sort of, you know, um, filtered off. People didn't have time, have come back. People are making time. And it also, I think, just for me, allows me to really stand on the other side of the business, to move out from behind the book publicist's desk and go down to Arkansas as a writer and only as a writer. And that's absolutely thrilling. I'm so excited to teach there, to read there, always as a writer. That's mm -hmm. very rare for me. Most times I'm going as a book publicist. So it has been a chance to step up and say, hey, I am also 100% a writer. Okay. Well, I've taken up enough of your time. Uh, sounds like you lead a very busy life. <laughs> so let's conclude with me asking the traditional New Books Network question. Uh, you tell me you are working on a novel. But where are you in the process? And what's next for Caitlin Hamilton Summit? Well, I have... Um, a bunch of things in process. I am finishing my first novel, and it is the conclusion of the story of the Macmillan sisters. Three of the stories in the collection are about the Macmillan sisters, mm -hmm. and the novel is what happens to them. It is the rest of their story, and that's through one solid draft. And then I also have a middle grade novel that I need to take through one last draft that I've been working on for seven or eight years. And then I completed and had edited a children's picture book, which I am now trying to shop. So um, I'm doing all of those things um, as time allows, and I'm excited about them. I hope, I hope they'll all find places in the world. Yes, I hope so too. And thank you so much for joining me today. Best of luck with everything, Caitlin. Thank you, Galit. This has been so much fun. Thank you. And thank you for listening to this podcast from the New Books Network. Once again, I'm G.P. Gottlieb, host of New Books and Literature, and today I've been talking with Caitlin hamilton Summy about her short story collection, To Lay to Rest Our Ghosts. Join the network to learn about new books of all kinds and to hear my previously recorded podcasts. Goodbye until my next conversation for the New Books Network. <laughs>